Welcome to Georgia Today. I'm Steve Fennessy. This week on the podcast, we speak with a journalist who's reported on the killing of Ahmaud Arbery and its aftermath longer than anyone else, Brunswick News reporter Larry Hobbs. Larry's been a guest on this podcast before. He has since covered every twist and turn of the Arbery investigation and the highly anticipated trial, which culminated last week in guilty verdicts for all three defendants, Travis McMichael, his father Greg McMichael, and their neighbor, William Roddy Bryan. The men were accused of chasing and fatally shooting 25-year-old Arbery in February 2020 as he jogged in a neighborhood just outside Brunswick. Arbery's family says he was out for a jog February 23rd, but 64-year-old Gregory McMichaels and his son Travis told police Arbery was a burglar and chased him. We first spoke about this, you and I, on the show about 18 months ago, uh, which was about four months after Ahmaud Arbery's death. The case finally went to trial in early November. So tell us, what were those 18 months like for the 85,000 residents of Glynn County as they waited for this trial of Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan to finally begin? The discussion of the McMichael's Bryan trial came up a lot. The biggest example of how how much this touched the community was our clerk of courts, Ron Adams, clerk of superior court, sent out a thousand jury summonses. And literally it was a two and a half week ordeal to pick a jury. And everybody knew about this. Everybody had an opinion. And so as the trial kicked off, as the jury was finally impaneled early November and opening arguments began, what was it like? This was a very graphic, very grueling trial. There was a video screen up throughout most of the trial showing evidence, and a lot of it was graphic, ghastly. The video that that Roddy Bryan shot on the day that the killing occurred. You know, that's just one of them. The police body cam footage immediately after was shown, and I don't know how many people have seen that. I know I saw it. It's pretty tough to watch, too. And, of course, when the uh, George Bureau Investigations uh, coroner, lead coroner, came in, he showed the pictures of uh, Ahmad's body during the autopsy, and that was, uh, words escaped me. It, it, it was tough, and I know it had to be tough on the Arberries. Marcus Arbery got up and left, went out into the lobby when the, the coroner was there. Marcus Aubrey being Ahmad's father. And Wanda Cooper-Jones, his mom, stayed in, but uh, she just kept her eyes covered. Eleven of the 12 jurors were white, and this is in a county that's roughly 26% black. So as you sat there towards the beginning of the trial for opening arguments, what impact did you think that that particular jury makeup might have in terms of an eventual verdict? You, you got to think here in the deep south, uh, southern gothic, uh, here we go again. And the judge said, you know, he was certain that the, uh, the defense finagled it to get that jury. Attorneys are going back and forth on the potential jurors, which the state has complained to the court, were struck by the defense from the final panel because solely of their race. Eleven black jurors were struck from what would have been the final pool. And the judge said, it, it is what it is. We start trial tomorrow. And Linda Donikoski was the Cobb County prosecutor who was brought in to actually prosecute this case because of all the issues with prosecutorial uh, conflicts of interest in Glynn County. 
Yes, sir. Greg McMichael, the father of Travis McMichael, who was in that first pickup truck, is a former investigator for the DA's office here uh, in Brunswick County. He's also a former police officer. So first, the DA here in Brunswick County recuses themselves. Then the case went to Waycross Circuit District Court, and the attorney there recuses himself, but not before he writes a letter that says the actions were perfectly, quote, perfectly legal. It was at that point that the case went to a 17-year veteran of the Cobb County DA's office, Linda Donikowski. That's how she ended up taking the case. So the central argument of the defense, Larry, was Georgia's citizen arrest law, which really is a vestige from slavery days that effectively allowed citizens, in practice, we're talking about white people here, to, to deputize themselves to capture escaped enslaved people. So in the wake of Arbery's killing, state lawmakers vetoed the law, but because it was still in effect at the time of the killing, the McMichaels and Brian were allowed to invoke it in their defense. We have three white men chasing down a, a black jogger, Ahmaud Arbery, and attempting or saying they're attempting to detain him because they suspect him of breaking into houses. So you would think, or at least I did, I mean, that race, because it was such a central part of the discussion around this killing, would be a central part of the prosecution's case but it really wasn't mentioned by the prosecutor, uh, Linda Donikowski, really until closing arguments. Did that surprise you? It surprised me. It, it did a little bit. I, I think she thought, though, that she could win this case just when, uh, you know, the verdict from the jury, just from the interpretation of the law. The law said you had to be aware that a felony was going on. We have... Greg McMichael and Travis McMichael on a body cam being told by Glenn County Police Officer Robert Rash, no, he has not stolen anything. The times he had, there were four times at that point, had gone in and been detected on this camera at 220 Satilla Shores, where this all begins. Greg McMichael told police, you know, I don't know what he's doing, but he, he sure seemed like he was doing something. He was hauling ass past his house and running so fast that he must have done something wrong. What is the next question that you asked Greg McMichael? Did this guy break into a house today? And what did Greg McMichael say in response from line eight to line 13? Well, that's just it. I don't know. They had no proof that he had committed a crime. Here's Linda Dunikoski cross-examining Travis McMichael. And at this point in time, when you first see him on Burford, he's not reaching into his pockets. Run, no mail, not running, no mail. And he never yelled at you guys? No mail. Never threatened you at all? No mail. Never verbal. brandished any weapons? Yeah, he did not threaten me verbally, no mail. All right. Didn't pull out any guns? No mail. Didn't pull out any knife? No mail. Okay. Never reached for anything, did he? Uh, no. He just ran? Yes, he was just running. It was there in the testimony. And I think Ms. Donikoski said, we don't have to bring up that this was a racial issue, that they simply did not meet the criteria, even of the uh, citizen's arrest law. And the house that we're talking about, 220 Satilla Shores, was a house that was under renovation. It was vacant, but it was kind of open uh, because of the work going on in there. And Ahmaud Arbery was captured on a security cam several times walking through that house. And they show him, and that is all he does. 
he's just walking around. He's looking, you know. I know his, his uncle told me one time that in addition to working with his dad's landscaping company, he did a little construction work. So maybe he was just checking things out. We don't know what he's doing. We do know that he didn't steal anything. He didn't harm anything. He just walked around and left. There were a lot of dramatic moments, Larry, in this trial. We had Travis McMichael taking the stand in his own defense. And one of the most shocking, to me anyway, was in closing arguments when uh, the defense attorney made some really startling comments about Ahmaud Arbery, referencing his dirty toenails. And I remember seeing that and hearing an audible gasp in the courtroom. Turning Ahmaud Arbery into a victim after the choices that he made does not reflect the reality of what brought Ahmad Arbery to Satilla Shores in his khaki shorts with no socks to cover his long, dirty toenails. What were some of the moments that stuck out to you? The long, dirty toenails comment, everybody just went, wow, really? She said that. The going story was that she was trying to make a reference to that he was not a jogger, that he was in there for nefarious reasons because he had long, dirty toenails. He was a recurring nighttime intruder, and that is frightening and unsettling. Let's turn to the verdict. The closing arguments were delivered on the Monday before Thanksgiving, and the jury was instructed by the judge to go start deliberations. And they didn't take maybe as long as some thought. What was your reaction to how soon they came back with a verdict? And and describe that scene. I had in my mind that there didn't seem to be a lot to deliberate. I actually think more than 10 hours was almost a little too long. When you say there wasn't a lot to deliberate, what do you mean? Linda Donikoski made a fine job of uh, presenting her case. I think the best thing the defense tried was putting Travis McMichael up on the stand with some well-rehearsed thoughts about law enforcement training that didn't hold up on cross-examination from Linda Donikoski. I think she proved that Greg and Travis McMichael had no reason to believe that Ahmaud Arbery had committed a crime. Travis McMichael left his five-year-old son in the living room of their house, grabbed a shotgun, Greg McMichael grabs a 357, they jump in a pickup truck and chase this man. They said, we want to talk to you. They've got guns in their hands. Linda Donikowski says, this is America. Nobody has to talk to somebody if they don't want to. He was not obliged to do that. I mean, common sense tells you, you pull up in a truck on somebody who's like a pedestrian who's out for a job. I mean, I don't know, are any of you runners? You ever had a strange truck pull up and have some people start yelling at you? All three of these defendants did everything they did based on assumptions. Not on facts, not on evidence, on assumptions that took a young man's life. And that is why we are here. The autopsy photos were certainly startling. Ahmad's eyes were open. They showed the wounds. You can see what buckshot will do to a person. Uh, it just, the, the, the gunshot wounds were ghastly. Because this was at close range, and this was a shotgun that Travis McMichael brought with him in the pursuit of Ahmaud Arbery. With deadly buckshot. I mean, buckshot is meant 
to kill large mammals. That's what it does. Uh, the, the effects of it at close range were, were devastating. He was shot twice, but the first shot shredded his right hand, his wrist, and then went through the center of his abdomen, just to, just below the chest, sort of at the chest. The second shot missed. Now, get this, and we, we sort of knew this, but it, it came out in the, in the trial. It struck stray buckshot, went through a neighbor's window and embedded into a, an interior wall. Then the third shot hit Ahmad in his shoulder. The coroner testified that Ahmad was basically dead with the first shot that hit him in the chest area. I mean, it, it was emotionally draining. You could just see it uh, in the people around you just happened to look at that, that photo. As you're sitting there day after day, you can't turn off your feelings. And so when you're seeing photos... Uh, like the autopsy photos, when you're hearing testimony from the coroner about how Ahmad Arbery died, what impact did that have on, on you as a person? This was the uh, most emotionally draining uh, thing I've ever done as a journalist. And, and, and let me preface that by saying that I, I would say that the, uh, the parents, Mr. Marcus Arbery and Miss Wanda Cooper-Jones, were the faces of courage. Nobody, I say this was emotionally draining for me, to see these images of their son over and over again and to hear what the defense said about their son, it was just a anguish and grief. This was a grueling episode for them. When you see your baby kid going down like that, you just never imagine nothing like that to happen in this little town like this here. I just want everybody to know Ahmad was a good young man, never was disrespectful. And all old men had to do is talk to them. But you don't go talk to no kid telling me you're going to blow his head off. They got to understand, Mark was a young kid. 25 years old, he began to live his life. And they robbed him of his life. You know, this was six weeks of, of, of a trial. I saw the video when it came out. I took a couple of more looks at it. It is a stark the killing, that's what it is, the killing of Maude Arbery. Whether, regardless what the jury would have found, Travis McMichael killed Maude Arbery with, with a shotgun loaded with buckshot. That video was played a dozen times, two dozen. It's etched in my mind. But seeing it over and over again um, didn't make it any easier to watch. This is a man getting killed right before your eyes. Where were you, Larry, when the verdict came in? Were you in the, in the courtroom itself, or were you in this uh, holding area where other people were observing the trial? I was in the jury assembly room. I mean, this thing holds a couple hundred people, and it was almost completely full. In the Superior Court of Glynn County, state of Georgia, the state of Georgia versus Travis McMichael, case number CR000433. And it erupted in cheers when the malice murder was announced for Travis McMichael. I'm going to ask that whoever just made an outburst be removed from the court, please. If you feel like you need to make a comment or otherwise demonstrate with respect to the verdict, I do ask that you step out of the courtroom now. Judge Wamsley restored order. 
Everybody remain quiet for the remainder of the readings. Count two, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Count three, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Count four, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael. What the verdicts in Brunswick could mean going forward for this coastal community, that's next. This is Georgia Today. Listening to Georgia Today, I'm Steve Fennessy. I'm joined by Larry Hobbs from the Brunswick News. I'm curious kind of what you were looking for as those verdicts were read. Where was your attention? On the judge, I was looking around at uh, the people around me, and basically I was looking in front of my computer. I had my laptop there with me. I was focused. And guilty, guilty, guilty was my lead, and that's what I wrote, that Linda Donikowski had made her case. So I hit send. Uh, I basically called my editor, said the story's there. And then I went out into the lobby where the first person I saw, Mr. Arbery, was already out there, Mr. Marcus Arbery. He was just crying with, it was certainly a moment of redemption for him. Go, Marcus. Number one, I want to give all glory to God. Yes. Because that's who made all this possible. Yes, it is. I want to thank all y'all people, all the support y'all gave us. Yeah. We conquered that lynch mob. Yes. Yes. It was just too much going on, a cacophony of people celebrating the verdict. There were hundreds, a thousand people out front. What was their reaction? Cheers, tears, prayers, jubilation. To tell you the truth, I never saw this day back in 2020. Mm -hmm. I never thought this day would come, but God is good. Yes, he is. And I just want to tell everybody, thank you. Thank you for those who marched, those who who prayed, most of all, the the ones who prayed. Yes, Lord. Thank you, God. Yes, Lord. Thank you. And now, you know him as Ahmad. I know him as Quez. Yes. He will now rest in peace. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I get to my car, and uh, an old buddy of mine, Charles Baldwin, he's he's a black guy. We've been friends for a long time. But just to run across him at that moment was kind of wild. He just happened to be standing outside my car. He was driving by. He runs a landscape company himself. And he was driving by and decided to get out, and he had just heard about it, wanted to, you know, join whatever was going on over there. And uh, so it was just cool seeing him. We we hugged each other, and I said, it's good to see you, Charles. He's a Brunswick native, grew up around here, started out on the shrimp boats down on the on the East River in Brunswick. That was just a, a, a cool moment to, to see Charles there. And what did he have to say about the verdict? I knew they would get the verdict right. He always calls me brother. He said, I knew they'd get the verdict right, brother. I knew this is what we were going to have. Where does the community of Brunswick and Glen County at large kind of go from here? What, do you see sort of tangible changes as a result of all this? We've always thought of ourselves as a pretty progressive community, and we are. A lot of us took a second look and 
wondered if we've done enough. I think we're taking some of that to heart. I hope we're a better community. I hope this is, if nothing else, um, this tragedy has has brought us closer together. Well, you know, that, that brings up a great question. This is one case, right? This trial happened during uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial when there were, he was acquitted. And so we have this conviction. And so what does this mean for race relations in, in the South? What does it mean politically or culturally uh, for where we go from here? I sure hope it, it means we, we, we move forward and that this is the 21st century and that we're not carrying as much of that baggage with us and into this, this next century. It's about time. I'm a Southerner all my life and, and proud of being a Southerner. I love this place. It's, it's exotic, it's strange, and it's beautiful. And in times of reckoning, we've always come up short, it seems, especially my demographic. So many times, so many times, the South says one thing but does another. This time, we did pretty much what everybody's saying we wanted to do and what was supposed to be the right thing. Mayor Cornell Harvey, the Brunswick mayor, Brunswick's first black mayor, he's uh, finishing up his second term. He's like one of the first people I saw and I went and shook hands with him. And he said, Larry, we proved to America that you can get justice in a small Southern town. And he said, we proved justice is colorblind. Now we are angry, yes we are angry. We, we, we are hurting, yes we are hurting because something bad has happened here. However, you know, we still have to look for the greater good. We have to also uh, ensure that we trust justice will be will be served. We trust the fact that the laws in America are, are not tainted against anyone. Together, we can do things better. And I really believe that, and I believe the people in Brunswick are really trying to say that too. I'll tell you what I did say to Mayor Harvey. I said, Mayor, my people finally didn't let your people down. And he said, it's okay, man, because I was getting a little emotional. And he said, it's okay, man. I know. I know. And I hope we've learned something from this that, that, that will stick with us. I've been speaking with Larry Hobbs from the Brunswick News. A sentencing date has not yet been set for the McMichaels and Brian. Their convictions in the trial could put them behind bars for life. The men also face federal hate crimes and kidnapping charges and an upcoming multi-million dollar civil lawsuit brought by Arbery's mother. That suit also alleges that some law enforcement officials and local prosecutors were involved in a cover-up during the investigation into Ahmaud Arbery's death. Georgia Today is a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. Jess Mador is our producer. Our engineers are Jesse Neiswanger and Jake Cook. You can keep up with Georgia Today by subscribing to the show at gpb.org or anywhere you get podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next week.